Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 79. Uh, I am starting this. Wheels will be here shortly, as always. And this is me, David, Family Master, whatever, with me as always. Well, not always since I missed last week, but it's a guy who moved oh, to uh, your man in Japan. Yep. Everything going well, I presume? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, while Wheels was dealing with like, um, was it con crud by proxy or something, rather? I got to deal with seven or about ten days of bronchitis by proxy. Ugh. My daughter was just, still is coughing, but the fever is down. Well, well that's a relief, I guess. <sighs> uh, uh, well, we got, like, the, the most recent episode did not go up until this morning, I want to say, but. Uh, yeah, I've listened to half of it, that's why I knew he wasn't feeling well. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just figured he had mentioned it to you, but yeah. I don't know if he's actually feeling any better. He might secretly be dying and just not telling anyone. Hopefully not. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna presume he's not dead, but I mean, we'll find out if he shows up. Uh, yeah, I presume that that means there's not a lot of like, uh, been playing news from you. Uh, let's see, I guess I'll just dive into one of the questions we got this morning, since I can say for a fact we haven't talked about them yet. Okay. Uh, Budai asks, which of the upcoming samurai games do you find most interesting? Neo 2, Ghosts of Tsushima, or Sekiro Shadows Die Twice? I really don't know anything about any of these games. Yeah, can't say as I blame you. Unless you were following E3, there was nothing to know about any of them until then. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw one of the demos for Neo years ago, and it's like, okay, cool. Hack slash Samurai Attack. Sure. Um, so. Yeah. A part of me really wants to see what that looked like when they claimed it was based on an unfinished Kurosawa script, because it feels like there was a lot of difference between here and there. <laughs> Maybe inspired by. Yeah, it's probably a much more fair reading compared to what came out at the end of that. Uh, like, personally, I, I know very little about any of these games. They've shown almost nothing of any of them, so can't really say I'm too... Uh, I'm too far into any of them. I like Ghost of Tsushima from what they showed. It seemed like it had a good style to it. Mm. But what you gonna do? We can press wheels about this. He probably knows more. knows about at least some of these. Uh... Let's see. Did I say anything for uh, any of these? We could also just look at some of these things that were mentioned last month, but not last month, last week. But I don't know if you'd have anything to say about most any of them anyway. So, because I think yeah. we were selecting for uh, questions that you wouldn't be interested in. So, <laughs> yeah. So though I I did end up having to stop it in the middle of, or towards the end of a very long discussion on Tales games. <laughs> That's saving yourself. Yeah, uh, I know. Just um, I'm somewhere in the final level of Tales of Innocence now. Oh, how's that going? I mean, it's not so bad, except I've been playing the entire thing on auto battle for the last oh. thirty hours. I think. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've just been having fun trying to figure out the story because it has this interesting reincarnation thing going on. Hmm. Um. 
and mainly while I was on the streetcar going up and down to different places during the week. So it's just my commuting game, which is why it's taken me four months to get this far. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm impressed that you could go just the entire game on auto battle. That seems... Well, I mean, it's it's one of those 3D field Tales games mm. where it's almost impossible to do the up action attack. Oh! Because it tries to make you jump first, and it just it doesn't work very well. Whereas Hearts, with the the 2D field, it worked a lot. It was a lot more fun trying to juggle enemies with that yeah. one because it was easier to control those up attacks. Yeah, Hearts in general was very. Like, smart of, like, we could attempt 3D here, but, like, we are better off designing a really competent 2D battle system. Yeah. And between Innocence and Tempest, I can see exactly why Hearts made some of the design decisions it did. <laughs> because it is incredibly easy to get lost on um, Innocence's world map at the beginning. Hmm. And the... The le the dungeon maps, well, there is no there's no mapping function for the dungeons. Oh, so I usually got lost really really quickly trying to figure out where I was going, <sighs> and so I'm sure I missed tons of treasure chests, which is also unfortunate because um, the cooking system in that game, most recipes have prerequisite recipes to learn. Oh, so, so. at this point I've got. 30 different recipe recipe files that I could potentially read to learn new, new recipes that I can't use because I haven't found any of their prerequisites. Or in some cases, they are the prerequisites for other things, but I still need one key recipe from somewhere to learn everything else. Yeah, that's kind of one of those dangers of making a system that has like these, like not complex per se, but these hierarchies of... Like, you need this to get this, but if you miss a piece in the chain, you just end up with, like, oh, I've got a million things that are completely useless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, there's, the only thing I'm curious else about Innocence is, is something that you can't really answer, because I remember when Innocence R came out, people actually called them remaking one of the other DS games, because they apparently tried to tie them together, and I'm curious so what on earth they did. I don't know how in the world that would work because um, Hearts and Innocence both have like literal 10,000 year backstories. Yeah. Like I remember when people said that I was like what on earth are they going for with this? I mean on the plus side Innocence R does have this one character who really should have been an, an extra party member joining the battle. Yeah. But so did Hearts. Um, Hearts had a couple fan favorites as well. Yeah, I feel like they ran into some just issues of like, well, it's a DS game and we've only got so much time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's... Yeah, I, I still don't know. Even if they intended to remake more of them, I still don't know if it was advisable to try to make some sort of direct tie between them. It's just like, you could have just made, remade another one. Yeah. But... Yeah, there, yeah, there was no real point in making a connection between those two. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially considering how vastly different their historical cosmologies are. Yeah, it's just the, the R games were just weird all around. It was kind of a strange endeavor from every direction. 
So unlike um, Narakiri Dungeon Cross, which took a very poorly designed Game Boy game and turned it into something pretty good. Yeah. That was legitimately tied to Tales of Fantasia. In part by just taking the sensible route of, oh, this is this is just a game that takes place hundreds of years later. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it not only did that, it took most of the villain... Um, I mean, the villain from Tales of Fantasia originally had this ridiculously complicated backstory. Oh, yeah, I remember because, this. Because the original Tales Fantasia was the game designer's attempt at a light novel. Yeah, I remember reading about that and thinking... Admirable, but I can kind of see how this couldn't find a publisher. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, know, I mean, I think there's some other issues because it really reads like a typical Japanese light novel in many ways. Mm. Uh, uh, it says something about the, the genre, but... <laughs> but no, so they, they took all the ex- they took a lot of the extra material that mm. couldn't fit into the original game, and they made that into Narikiri Dungeon. Oh, that's... Oh. At least a cute concept for like, well, there's actually something you can build out of here. Yeah. So yeah, it's it is set about a hundred years after Fantasia, mm-hmm. but it actually has cross connections with stuff that happens before Fantasia as well. And then they made Symphonia. Yeah. Oh no, and yeah. then they made Summoner's Lineage, which oh had, yeah, which had no need to have any direct connections back to um, Fantasia. And yet it did anyway. Couldn't be stopped. Yeah. Gotta keep the gravy train going. Yeah. And of course, the bad, worst thing about Summoner's Lineage was that it had a really good type of tactical system going on, or um, strategy game system going on, mm-hmm. but it was only really balanced for competitive play. It was not balanced for story mode. Oh, boy. So, um... It, I mean, the way it's supposed to be played out, you have your main character who's got his own levels, mm-hmm. and you have you may have um, either story characters or retained characters from previous battles who also have character levels. Yeah. Everything else is summoned at level one. Oh, good! Yeah. So, I mean, this is better for the competitive levels, because both sides are starting off equal equally. Yeah. These story battles tend to start off with half a dozen or with a dozen or more enemies on the field at levels ten to fifteen. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty ballsy to take your tail spin off and bet the farm on people connecting their Game Boys together for multiplayer. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, didn't exactly take off like Pokemon. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, can't say, can't say I've got much to say about what I've been playing. I've been doing the FF5-4 job fiesta, if you've ever seen much about that. Oh, really? I've heard of it, but do tell. It's, it's like, you you play through FF5, you, you yell at the Twitter bot every time you reach a new crystal that assigns you a new job. You can only use jobs you've been assigned. So how has your luck been with that? Not great, not gonna lie, not great. Uh, I got Monk and Red Mage first, which are both which are both pretty much outmoded by the end of the first, like, third of the game. Mm-hmm. And then I got Dancer. 
which pretty strong depending on what you pair it with. Yeah, like now that I'm at Endgame, Dancer is really strong just because it has a chi- a fully powered up chicken knife and uh, <laughs> items that make it do sword dance more often. Yay! So that can that can get uh, ninety nine ninety nine damage pretty quick, yeah. and then. I'm doing a variant run, of what's called a forbidden one, and that, like, spoilers for anyone, like, they were trying to keep what forbidden does, so, I mean, if you're interested in the Forge FPS, fast forward a couple minutes. Uh, but the forbidden run, what it does is it lets you get one of the new jobs they added for the GBA version. Which ones were those? Because I haven't actually played the GBA. So you have Gladiator, Cannoneer, Necromancer, and Oracle. And three of those are really strong, and one of those is, like, the fiddliest thing imaginable and not at all worth using unless you are assigned to it. <laughs> Gladiator is the one that I got, and that's probably the simplest to actually use, because that one just has... It has some good secondary abilities that actually pair nicely with, like, Dancer, because it gets long range so that you can actually attack with full, full power from the back row, which is nice, because... All of my characters have pretty bad vitality stats, except the monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but its its key ability is just called Finisher, which works remarkably similar to Dance. Because it's just like, uh, you use this ability and you have a percentage chance of doing absolutely nothing, getting a critical hit, mm-hmm. or doing 9,999 damage. Nice! So, yeah, like, it's very feast or famine with a gladiator. You either just ended the fight, or you just wasted a lot of time. (laughs) As you go up in the gladiator class, though, you get more likely to do the, uh, the elemental attack finisher, which is useful. It, it, It uses properties that the game doesn't normally use. Like, each character is technically assigned a... Uh, an element because of the crystal they correspond to, but the game almost never uses that except for things like this. Each character's finisher is keyed to their crystal, so like, if you use... It it ironically makes things like, Bart's has a slightly better finisher just because fewer things resist wind magic. But otherwise, it's it's mostly been not too bad. The other thing that happens is that when you, in a Forbidden Run, when you hit the final dungeon, you, uh you request a punishment from the Twitter bot, and in my case, what it did was throw out one of my old jobs. I was, I'm not allowed to use the Red Mage anymore, which is fine. Nothing's useless at this stage, but... <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, please, punish me more. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, this just means I get two gladiators or dancers. There's no problems here. But, yeah, it, it does mean that I no longer have a plan for if I want to try to kill either of the bonus bosses, so... That's a shame. Uh, was it? There's, because like, that's, that's the other fun thing about the uh, about the Forge FPS is since you you report when you finish things, like it does give you an even slight social media incentive to actually try to take on the bonus bosses because it puts a little badge on your page if you killed Shinri or Omega, and so. People have analyzed those fights to get to a point where a lot of parties that probably shouldn't be able to finish them can. Like, I have a friend who rolled a bard, and it's basically impossible for them not to win if they're willing to sit around long enough, because apparently one of the only, uh, one of the only statuses that 
Omega isn't immune to is stop. And the Bard has a song that can stop 100% of the time, so you just have to keep stopping it every 10 seconds. The, there's, a, there's a lot of fun, really stupid strategies that the Forge of Fiesta sort of forces you to employ, so that's why I enjoy doing that every year. So I think that's kind of the point, is, I mean, one of the issues I have always had with the Final Fantasy style of job system is, if you have access to every job for everyone, that just means that everybody ends up with the exact same ability list eventually yeah my other my other problem with trying to do vanilla ff5 runs is that i always have like uh well what should i be doing optimally to max uh, to master the most useful jobs at the right times and it's just like this this forces me to use a more constrained skill set so i don't have to worry as much about well should i be using this job uh. I, was, I was glad the forbidden run opened up because i've gotten since I've been doing this for like five years, I've gotten most of the vanilla jobs by this point, and some of them several times. I've gotten chemist way more times than anyone should because that game's that that job is broken. <laughs> but, yeah, so that that runs through September. Anyone listening to this who wants to join in, who has a Twitter, just tweet at FF Five for Futures with some sort of with like register and then like the. The website itself has other rule sets, so maybe look at those. It's it's fun. If if you guys comment on it, maybe I'll shout things back at you. That sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's see. What do we have for another question? Uh, this was a question from someone I've yet to see ever comment on us. They, their name was Moonrocks and said, "Isn't Shining Force Four the best?" And I don't. I don't think that game exists. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that's ever been labeled Shining Force 4. So I'm uh, trying to come up with it, and I'm, like, I'm not that familiar with the earlier games. But, um... You know, the only hit I can find is Camelot Software. The boss of Camelot is keen to make a Shining Force 4 game. So, what is this from? <laughs> it's, uh... NintendoLife.com article from last October. Hmm. If Camelot has time to work on Shining Force 4 between the various Mario sports tiles... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> they should be spending it getting a Golden Sun for instead. Uh, that's what... Yeah. That's, that's a claim. Basically, no, Shining Force 4 does not exist. However... Uh, however... Uh, yeah, the company would love to do it someday. But On the bright side, there's three Shining Force threes, and there's a good chance that anyone listening to this has never played at least two of them. True. I think there's fan translations for those now, so if someone really wanted it, I mean, mm-hmm. go search the dark internet and worry yourself about Saturn emulation. <sighs> yeah. That does make me think of, like, how what weird business path led Camelot from being the company that makes all of the Shining games to the company that's been making Mario Golf for literally 20 years. Something about a falling out between the president of Camelot and somebody in Sega, and then switching over to Nintendo. <laughs> that's a very 90s console war possible. The most 90s console war possible answer. It's kind yeah. of amazing. It reminds me of uh, working designs. Uh, oh, dear. Like, Victor Ireland publicly announcing that they wouldn't be doing anything more with Sega because of issues they had with, like, Bernie Stolar. 
Uh, oh, yeah, this was a Budai question last week that I don't think we've answered. You might be able to say better. Uh, okay. I'm saying, there was actually a mention of something I was thinking about asking. What do you think of working designs localizations? And one hand, you could say they were some of the best written at the time, but some people hate the... I think there's a typo here. Sorry, typo. It's too bad the site version doesn't have an edit function. Uh, but yeah, like some people hate the style. I mean, I can see what they mean because, um, actually, what is it? Did they do Lunar? They did Lunar. Yeah, I remember some comments about um, like references to Bill Clinton or to Wheaties cereal or stuff like that. Those are both in there. Um, yeah. um, and also, also one quote from the Red Green Show that I remember. Yeah, there's a lot of weird ones. There's uh, my personal oh, favorite. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say the red green one actually fit. Because yeah. it was somebody commenting about um, how it, how fishing was boring or something, and your your cat little cat friend says you got that bass backwards. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, that was originally from the red green show. From yeah, that's, that's subtle enough that you could you can get away with it because there's still a joke there if you don't know what the red green show is. I feel like that's kind of the importance of, like, when you insert a reference into something, it's like, is there still a joke here if someone doesn't know what I'm referencing back to? Oh, yeah. is Even if it's in your own head. The, the other thing I was thinking of was, uh, I remember one of the strangest things they did was that, like, uh, in, in Lunar 1 and 2, uh, on Sega CD, there's just a, when you when your party dies, it's just like the party is the party has failed. It's a, it's a normal game over sort of message. Mm -hmm. And in Lunar Silver Star Story Complete on PS1, it does a similar message. But for some reason, in Lunar 2 on PS1, they changed it to an Oingo Boingo lyric reference. <laughs> <laughs> like it was not at all current. It was like this was a song. Why are you referencing it's a dead man's party? That's a song from ten years ago. It's just yeah, super. I mean there there can there are arguments that can be made in favor of creative localizations, but there's such a thing as going a little too far. Yeah, right around the point where like the background, one of the background jokes of someone being scared of vain falling out of the sky in Lunar One uh, gets turned into someone talking about how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll. Uh, Tootsie Pop? It's like, may maybe there was actually a reason for that joke. That joke's foreshadowing, by the way. <laughs> uh. On the other hand, a lot of those games probably wouldn't have gotten localized at all otherwise, so... I mean... And some of the some of those localization choices kind of persisted as they, as different companies localized further remakes of Lunar. Like the... I've never checked this myself, but I've heard that one of the areas in... Uh, Lunar 1, where, like, the English version, there is a lot... For some reason, they decided to just fill it with jokes about, like, everyone in the town being inbred. And I don't know where that's where that came from, but apparently the town was pretty... played pretty straight in Japanese, and they just sort of kept that in later localizations and toned it down a little bit so that they weren't making a reference to it every single line of dialogue. It really sounds like somebody on the localization team got bored and thought, you know, this town is not interesting enough. Let's just do something. Yeah, that, that would track with, uh, with working designs' history of just like, you know what, whatever. <laughs> Why not? Mm -hmm. but, and so you end up with some games that, for good and ill, were definitely memorable.
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, there's, there's also a lot of other weird things about what working designs would do with, uh, like, they really like to rejigger difficulty balancing, which I think is what brought the subject up, because it's just like, well, now they can't rent it and finish, because we decided this treasure game wasn't hard enough. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, by the fans, but not necessarily for the fans in this case. Yeah, a little bit. They made at least one like TurboGrafx CD game basically impossible without grinding for hours and hours. Strange, strange company. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, and with how long it's taking wheels to get here, I might, uh, my brevity might run us through questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another one from Budai. Uh, Think, I don't think we got to this one. Uh, Fire Emblem Awakening was what Nintendo considered a huge success, and I can see why. Do you think that there was... Uh, oh, no, wait, we did discuss this. More lightning in a bottle, or the Switch game has a chance to take it further in popularity. I think we discussed this. Um, I was going to say, Fire Emblem's had a pretty decent history with some major bumps, but... Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like... I could see them going on to Switch pretty well. Yeah, I feel like the, the, the biggest problem that it had was when it was just, uh, was, for some reason it couldn't really find a foothold in, like, the DS era that seemed to be the nadir. Like, against all other Nintendo franchises, that was a time when the franchise was at its worst point, uh, in terms of sales, at least. So, I feel like, regardless, it's going to maintain health for at least the next while, especially given that I think it's still their most successful mobile game. That hmm. sweet, sweet gotcha money. Hmm. Eh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Did the legislation ever go through on uh, on gotcha games in Japan? Not that I can tell. Hmm. I remember like rumors about such a thing happening, but well, I know that such legislation has been put through in the Netherlands. Yeah, that one actually they. They straight up essentially threatened like half of the their top ten, but they wouldn't reveal what was in that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's one of those situations where it would be very good if some of these, uh, if, if there was some regulation on the amount of gamble, uh, the amount of scratch off lotto tickets you can put in a video game. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember if we got to this uh, Strawberry Eggs question. Uh, why is it, or why do you think, Square Enix has had several of their games on 3DS and Switch published by Nintendo rather than doing it themselves? Because it's easier for them that way, because somebody else is doing all the hard work? Yeah, I'd imagine... Uh, like, she goes on to list a, a bunch of the ones that are happening. I didn't realize that they're apparently publishing Octopath Traveler... But, uh... Not surprised since they did all the Dragon Quest portables. Yeah. Uh, Square might have... If, does this mean that Square might have passed these games over if it weren't for a Nintendo? I'd imagine there's more to it than that. Like, some of them probably would have. Just for... Like, some of those Dragon Quest games probably would have just not happened. Uh, but I think some of these are also just that, like... Nintendo takes on the risk. They take on the marketing. And... They, you know, since they're the console manufacturer, like, they're, they get inherently cheaper manufacturing since they aren't paying a licensing fee, so. 
so I'd imagine it's easier for them. Yeah, I'd imagine in exchange for port- not porting things that they had no intention of porting to begin with, uh, they get basically a risk-free proposition to localize the games far and wide, because Nintendo doesn't just localize into English, they localize into everything. So, I'd imagine that's actually probably a lot of it. It's just like, I don't know how much infrastructure Square Enix has for various, for translations into all of the different languages that uh, show up a lot, especially in, like, European games. But I remember uh, Nintendo took on publishing duties for, like, the Ace Attorney games in Europe, and that meant that they published... They, translated those games themselves into like five different languages i think uh spanish french german and a few others were all just like oh yeah nintendo localized the ace attorney games into those languages and then when capcom took the reins back uh when they started localizing them as download only games in the u.s for the 3ds those languages went away they did not they they did not produce localizations into those languages and i remember there being a fair bit of fan yeah, consternation that they weren't doing that anymore. Yeah, that was... Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't mean to... No worries, no worries. I'm just trying to think of something to say here. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was a long week last week. I'm still a little tired. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine that uh, taking care of a kid with bronchitis is probably an exhausting work. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, if, if I were to pontificate myself, I would just say that it, it's probably, in part, the, the like, bucking the publishing risk and passing that off to Nintendo, who just wants more games anyway. So, win-win in that sense, and it gives them an excuse to, like, now this game's in, like, eight different languages, when we wouldn't have really wanted to bother localizing it into some of those languages that often get passed over because the market is considered too small for them. Yeah. It does make me uh, interested in some of the... In, in what's considered particularly good localizations for languages that aren't, like, English. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Can't say it's... Like, I know that, uh... I think we've mentioned this... I've mentioned this site a number of times, but Legend of Localization, uh... The guy who runs that spent some time looking at... looking at Japanese fan resources to see uh, what games translated from English to Japanese are considered to be particularly good localizations. And the, and the result and the responses were. Uh, I remember being surprised that apparently one of them was like The Witcher Three of all things is apparently considered to have a really good localization. Really? Okay. Nah. There's like this. This was a big list that covered like things that uh, things that were uh, particularly good ones and th- things that were considered particularly good and things that were considered particularly bad. Uh, but I remember, let's see if I can find this, because it's interesting, uh, but it, it had some, I remember some complaints about Call of Duty localizations, but I remember seeing those back when, like, one of those games was coming out, and there was apparently a backdraft in Japan among whatever audience is buying Call of Duty there. Uh, oh yeah, this, this was another one that I remembered being really funny to me because it reflected something that definitely also exists on uh, that exists in American fandom, which is that apparently there are 
Undertale fans in Japan that uh, refused to use uh, that refused to use any terms that were translated in the official localization because they prefer the fan translation. <laughs> Which was a very like, oh yeah, I guess I guess we are all the same. Yeah, but does it get to? Does it get to the craziness of all according to Keikaku? Oh man, I can only imagine. Uh, like it was, there was a, like there wasn't enough detail here uh, to be sure on these. Okay, this I found it. It was for anyone looking for it. This was uh, popular, infamous, and surprising game localizations in the Japanese. Uh. Apparently, uh, Bioshock of all things was also considered to have a very, a very good uh, localization, and forgotten at this point, uh, PS2 era open world game Destroy All Humans had a very like well loved, very loose localization into Japanese that changed a lot of the references from American fifties B movie sci fi into like Tokusatsu references. I can see that as being quite popular. Yeah, like, that's actually, like, a really good tack to take with that game. Yeah. Because a lot of people in Japan would not get any of the B-movie references. Yeah. Meanwhile, that game was so steeped in B-movie that, like, as I recall, buried in the game's, like, options menu was just the entirety of Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> I really should play this sometime. Um. It's, it's, it was cute. Like, the they, they kind of... They kind of lost track of what, what they were going to do with the series after the first one, but that first one was novel enough to kind of get away with it. Uh, oh, here's here's another interesting one. Fallout 4, the fact that you can make your character male or female made things very difficult for the localize localizers. As a result, the player's te text uses male speech patterns, but the voiceovers use female speech patterns. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the whole... Um, that was an example of where choice really does not help. Yeah, like Fallout Four had enough uh, issue with that because they decided to get ambitious and have one of the characters be have like a giant bank of names that they could, if they recognized a name, they would actually address you by that name, and like that that created some issues just because it was just like you can you can see where there would be just be gaps in that and people would be kind of irritated. It's like you recognize this name but not my name, and it's yeah. Fallout Four's got some strange gaps in its writing. <laughs> Uh, okay. uh, oh, and, as far as licensed games, I, I'm I'm kind of curious about this as well because I mean, like you, a localized licensed game would have all sorts of things. So apparently, like Harry Potter games localized into Japanese are apparently really bad and inconsistent with the book localization. Oh dear! And the book localization was as literal as it got sometimes. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see this because you know, of course, American fans only ever see, uh, only ever see this from one perspective. Oh, as a, as another Bethesda one, apparently, uh, the what became the infamous arrow to the knee line was considered so ridiculous in Japanese that they thought that someone had screwed up translating it. <laughs> Which, uh, also mirrors English fandom to some extent as well. There's a, there's a certain comfort in knowing that uh, no matter where you hail from, nerds will forever be the same. Yep. Okay, so shall we take a pause for a moment to let wheels in? Yep.
And we're back. I apologize. It's back. Wheels is back. I can. I will not monologue again. We're back. <laughs> there, and you answered so many good questions. Do we have any questions left? Uh, I was having difficulty remembering what ones we'd already answered. Oh, did you? Do, uh, I did, mean, did you do the ones uh, from episode seventy-eight yet? Yeah, that's the one I was looking at. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. There were there were only two, and one of them was me trying to determine whether there was a Shining Force four that was being referenced. There is not. <laughs> there is not. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine they meant uh, like three, which you, was a Saturn game. Well, or that, maybe Feather something. Or, or maybe X. they meant to type in Fantasy Star four. Oh, that would also be possible. Yes. Yes. And Shining and Fantasy Star four is the best. <laughs> Of the fantasy stars, yes. Not of the Genesis RPGs, certainly not. One day, one day we'll get around to settling this debate in armed combat, and that'll be after I've just beaten beaten you in the head with a copy of Prince of Persia, Persia Forgotten Sand for the DS. <laughs> uh, I can't believe you actually played that. I did! You'll never guess what I was doing on the plane ride home from Pax East. It was playing that. Well, yeah... Yeah, well, at least you had... You'll uh, never guess how badly it bugged out when I got to the first boss. Pretty bad? It was fantastic. If you move left or right before the boss launches its first attack, you get caught in a wall. <laughs> There's no escape from this, and it happens 100% of the time. <laughs> it's kind of impressive. Well, the rest of the game was good, right? No. <laughs> you insult me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Are you? Are we recording? Are we on? Yeah, we're we're we are on the air. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we can go back. I wanted to pick your brain on uh, the first question from '78, anyway, that Budai brought up. Sure. Uh, which was, which of the upcoming samurai games do you find most interesting? Neo Two, Ghost of Tsushima, or Sekiro? To be fair, Sekiro is more of an ninja game, but. Yeah, um, I think Ghosts to me is the most interesting because Neo Two is really a known property. Uh, Sekiro yeah. um, kind of get an idea of it, whereas Ghosts is like this new thing, and we haven't seen anything from Sucker Punch in a long time. So they've probably been working on this for quite some time. So I I do love Sucker Punch. Yeah. So I think that is the most interesting. Yeah. And what they showed was had a lot of style to it, which I appreciate. Yeah, it looked very nice. Uh, I can't really see. That's the thing. I can't really get a good feel for what the game is actually. The game actually plays like, but it certainly looks cool. Yeah, and that's really all we can say about any of these. <laughs> yeah. We know very little about any of them. Yeah, but I mean, it's Neo Two. It's going to be another Souls-like, uh, and Sekirai kind of have a Sek- general Sekiro. Sekiro. Yeah, obviously they said it's not an RPG, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be somewhat Souls-ish. I did think the idea they had about, like, you can strategically die was interesting sounding. Yeah. It's like, oh, you die in such a pit, you die, and then you wait a little while and get back up and attack people from behind. That sort of thing is cute. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Only a flesh wound. <laughs> Oh man, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of jokes about that when that game comes out. <laughs> uh, especially when the main character's arm inevitably gets cut off. But, yeah, and then 
Uh, we also covered the working design question, which you might have opinions on. Ooh, which one was that? This was Budai's from last week. Uh, There's actually a mention or something I was thinking about asking. What do you think of working design's localizations? On one hand, you could say they have they were some of the best written at the time, but some people hate the style. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I think they were quite good for the time. You know, I know can people complain about things like throwing in random pop culture references and stuff like that. See, see, ten minutes ago in this very podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, those aren't great. Um, but I mean, compared to a lot of the other stuff that was coming out at the time, it was okay. I mean, in to me, the bottom line is they were bringing over games that no one else was. And a lot of very cool games that no one else was bringing over or even daring to touch. Uh, I think maybe it went to his head and kind of seemed to destroy his own company. Uh, I will never get over recounting how he managed to destroy a company for a PS2 launch Goemon game. Yeah, but I mean, the end result, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that are JRPG fans because of working designs, or at least... Mm -hmm kind of look to a lot of the lesser the lesser budget more just other RPG series other, yes and just other RPG series other than the big names so are they the best no looking at what was around at we're the, still talking about these games yeah exactly <laughs> I think I think in that kind of you know as much as we complain and as much as they may have effed things up or done weird things with localization the end result was a positive one so I think that's that is the important thing to remember yeah if I'm going to give them the Mark Antony eulogy I would probably go on about the fact that even if even if you weren't a fan of precisely what they did to all these games they were relatively a pioneer of making a of going through a script and trying to make it read well in English right. like not just to translate it accurately but to make it feel natural and like they they went a bit overboard certainly but i mean it was important that someone was doing that exactly yeah like I mean, what, what's your favorite working designs localized title wheels um i think i'd have to go with magic knight ray earth just because oh man it's forever the saturn fan yeah <laughs> Well, it's like one of the the last Saturn games I got. I think it was the last like new It was the last Saturn game. It was the last yeah, it was the last new Saturn game I got, obviously, because it was the last new Saturn game released here. Um and I think my my disc got scratched up and they sent me a replacement for free, which was pretty awesome. Oh, that's pretty cool. Nice, yeah. nice. And this was like probably almost a year after I bought it. Uh, like the... it was great. I mean it's it's based on some anime I've never seen. It was made by a pretty a pretty well known studio called Clamp. <laughs> yes, but and yeah, just... it, and the, the anime itself, or manga and anime, were so heavily steeped in RPG tropes that the translation to the game was actually pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Also, I think it's a Rieko Kogodama game. It so. is. Yeah. It's a really it's a really really good game. And yeah, the, the, I need to get around to that. Yeah, one. the localization is good. The voice acting is. It was a great way for the Saturn to go up. The uh, the irony, of course, being that I think that was a launch game in Japan. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, like that was that was where Working Designs acquired that rep- reputation of one being the company that released the last game for a system, and two games being years and years late. But yeah. 
Well, they, they kind of have an excuse on Ray Earth because that game, apparently, they got non-final code and had to reconstruct parts of the game. Yeah, well, thinking of that and the other big Saturn game, uh, Albert Odyssey, I think played to the Saturn strength very well, and that's why I think they're memorable for me and a lot of other people because they were obviously very nice-looking 2D games, which was the Saturn strengths. And, and part of what drew working designs to the system. Yeah, and they hold up a lot better than um, probably the more known titles like Panzer Dragoon Saga. I love that game. It's a brilliant game. Much of it looks like butt. <laughs> Absolute butt. But at least it's super alien looking, so it should look weird. Um, yes, and, <laughs> yes and no. Some things should look weird. Not all the things that do. Yeah. <laughs> And Shining Force 3. Oh, that game looks heinous now. Yeah. All the Saturn Shining games look really bad in a way that's really Shining, upsetting. Shining the Holy Ark, I think. But I think that mixes, like, somewhat 2D stuff, so... Yeah, that one but, looks the best. Shining... Oh, good. I just saw the clocks. I need to get going now. Oh, see ya. Sorry. Yes. No worries, no worries. Sorry, I've been kind of fading in and out for the last ten minutes anyway. It's, it's fine. All right, yeah. but, Thank you, as always, sir. Sorry mm-hmm. for my tardiness. But thank you for no worries, no worries. thank you for holding the fort down. Okay. See you later. See ya. This does make me think about uh, weird Saturn RPGs that have never been on anything else. Yeah. You want to sit down and wag jaw about uh, Vakken Rotor? I don't even know what that one is. That's a Japan-only. Uh, strategy RPG steampunk game uh, that I don't I don't quite have words for when I looked up who made who was involved with its creation it's like oh this anime director I've heard of him what the heck is this (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you get weird things with names like Vakken Rotor which is very uh, we liked to use random German Mm -hmm. uh I did want to bring up Albert Odyssey is a giant series in Japan, and I think that was the only Albert Odyssey we ever got, and it's not even a main Albert Odyssey game. Yeah, weren't the other ones like strategy RPGs or something? Yeah, the rest of them are strategy RPGs, and that one's the more traditional one. Also, Shining Wisdom has no business being as ugly as it is. Yeah. Like, that game is hideous for re- for no real reason. Uh, what other ones do we got? The Legend of Oasis? Oh, yeah! Story of Thor. Yeah. I think that's the... Uh, I can't remember which one of the Oasis games is Story of Thor in Japan. Uh, I think it may be that one. I think it might be right. Uh, Beyond Oasis is Story of Thor. Uh, Hikario Tsugumono, which is Heir of the Light, apparently. Uh. It's even weirder because Europe got a different localization for the title, which is just Story of Thor, Successor of the Light. Oh. So, Le- Legend is... Thor Chronicles of the Elemental King. And was it, Legend a more traditional RPG, or was that still an action RPG? No, it's still an action RPG. And it was called The Story of Thor 2 in Europe. Now I'm wondering if uh, if that was also developed by Ancient. Cause, yep, still developed by Ancient. That was Yusoku Shiro's company. Yeah, Legend was a lot more puzzle-heavy. In fact, I never, mm. never beat it, because I got stuck so many times. Ah... Uh... But yeah, it looks really nice. Oh, like, it's, yeah, it's a gorgeous game. Beyond Oasis already had really nice art for the Mega Drive, so... Yeah, I wish, I wish more of these RPGs escaped the Saturn. I mean, 
make me think. There's so many games on that system that just well, never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I mean, only if you really did, like, uh, Guardian Heroes, uh, Dragon Force got released on PS2, although that never got localized. That might, maybe we'll get lucky, maybe we'll get the Switch version if that ends up happening. That'd be sweet. <laughs> they threatened, they threatened uh, Saturn Sega Ages on Switch, and they've already done Sega Ages Dragon Force in the past. Oh my god, give it to me. Uh, yeah, like that. Like that's the tragedy of like. It's weird to think about given where we are now, but at the time, like in that era, it wasn't uncommon for something to just release on one thing because there just wasn't a lot of good way. Like all the consoles were so radically different under the hood that there oftentimes wasn't a good way to port things across. Yep. Like then, perhaps more than any other, because I mean, like even if you got over the fact that like. They use different kinds of RAMs and different processors that work differently from different manufacturers. You still had things like the Saturn's basic, like, 3D primitive is a square. <laughs> <laughs> like, you you just have issues that are just, insur- like, everything is insurmountably different. Yeah. You have to basically make the entire game from scratch. You can't keep anything. <laughs> so you had all these games that's just, like, and especially because the Saturn made itself the home for companies that weren't really comfortable jumping to 3D, you had all of these games that just like, well, we're a small company and we can really only refor- afford to release this on one thing. And so, I mean, like, that's where Vanillaware got its start. I mean, Princess Crown, which came out on PSP only in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but is essentially the, uh, the predecessor to both Muramasa and Odin Sphere, which both at various points in the development, were just working titled PC2 and PC3. <laughs> because, well, that's that's what they were. They were these successors to Princess Crown. Interesting. Yeah. I, like, the the phenomenon of trap games always makes me a little sad. It's just like, there's all these games, and you just yeah. can't play them on anything. And, I mean, like, we're at the point now where uh, Saturn emulation is finally, like a lot easier than it used to be, so you know, maybe maybe that maybe we'll get Sega Saturn ages and maybe it'll be a lot more comprehensive than we expect. If if you if you're fiending for a library a retro game library that you don't know anything about, there's a good chance that there's a lot of Japan only Saturn games you could have a good time with. Yep. <laughs> Go play some KO Yugeketai. Go play some Dragon Force Dose. Was Gekitai the Sega CD one or the Sega? Okay, the Gekitai was the uh, Sega CD one, I think. Uh, Chaos Flying Squadron Two is the platformer for Saturn. What's that? Uh, Chaos Flying. Huh? What's that RPG series that like takes place in the U.S. or maybe that uh, was a, knew that was a Dreamcast series. No, it was Tengai Makio. Yeah, that's it. You're you're thinking of Tengai Makio: The Fourth Apocalypse. Most of them don't take place in the U.S., but that one does. Okay, was that and on that Saturn? Yeah, that one's okay. Saturn only, Japan only, completely crazy. Tengai Makio was always this really beautiful idea of like, what if we just made a game based on what every like what every crazy Orientalist Westerner explorer in the like 1700s thought Japan was. <laughs> And then they just sort of flipped uh, the script with Fourth Apocalypse, where they did, did, what if we made a game about what every, like, you know, person who had knowledge of the West thought America was in Japan in the 1800s? 
That's great. Yeah, like that's that's a completely inspired idea, and it's tragic that we have never gotten a single <laughs> localized Tenkai Machio game. Uh, there is a fan translation of Tenkai Machio Zero, and there is a fan translation of the GBA spinoff Oriental Blue. But we have never gotten Tengai Machio 1, Machio 2 Manjimaru, which was easily the best-selling PC Engine game and the thing that put the system on the map in a lot of ways. Uh, the Kabuki Gaiden game, the only Tengai Machio game we ever got, was the fighting game spinoff for Neo Geo, Far East of Eden Kabuki Clash. <laughs> and Far East of Eden is a, is a reasonable like joke title translation. But we never got oh, any yeah. other Far East of Eden. That stinks. There's, there's a lot of those. Like one, sometimes I think about how little, like how close we came to not getting Grandia, for example, which is a favorite of mine. Yeah. I should mention just uh, just for people curious. No, Tengai Machio does not mean Far East of Eden, but Far East of Eden is a good joke title to translate to. But. Uh, well, also think about all the. Um... Falcon games, we nearly haven't gotten. That's uh, like we would only ever get those based on who decided to port them. Yeah, and now we're getting most of them, which is pretty awesome. A crazy world to be in. Like, Xseed's decisions to just go back and dig into their catalog. Like, let's do Zvi one and two. <laughs> haven't made a new one of those in ten years. <laughs> let's do. Yeah, uh, like, what what the hell's the name of the dungeon crawler? Um, uh, Xanadu. They did Xanadu next. Oh, I thought you were gonna say. Uh, I thought you were gonna say Brandish. No, did, have they done? Brandish? Oh, they, they did Brandish Dark Revenant on PSP way right. later than anyone should have expected. Yeah. There's a fan translation of Brandish too, but I don't think there's any of the other Brandi. I'm calling them Brandi now. <laughs> it sounds like a. It sounds like you're mispronouncing like Namkai Bando. Namkai it's, Brando. It's even, better, it's even better because Brandi, Bandai really is just all reliant on their brands, so Brandi would actually be a pretty good name for them. So, uh, yeah, like I, I think a lot about like those those games that like they're never gonna get a second chance. I mean, a lot of these like who even knows who owns the rights to these? Yep. Like again, like I bring up Grandia because like that was a Saturn exclusive originally, and like it got ported and then. You know, we got lucky and Sony localized it even if somewhat poorly and it's just like that, that game was a very defining game for me. I love that game and there was a very good chance like if things hadn't worked out the way they did, I'd never have gotten the chance to play it. <sighs> it's weird the way the dice fall sometimes. Yes it is. Yes it is. Tell me your favorite trapped in Japan game. Favorite trapped in Japan game, the Saga two and three remix. Yeah. And uh, Seventh Dragon. Even though, according to our good friend Mr. Baker, it's not very good later on, uh, I still still would wish it had gotten a full localization and we'd gotten the sequel in English. I mean, the uh, there's a fan translation of, I think, all of them now. Yes, there is. Um, I, maybe not uh, 2022... But Not to be least, confused with the, the year. <laughs> yes, but at least 2020. Yeah, there is I feel like someone was at least working on 2020-2. I'm sure. 
I would just like to say as a coda to the we never got an official Tengai Makio localization, there's an Xbox 360 exclusive Tengai Makio. Translated or no? No, <laughs> not translated. Just, okay. That's what makes it stupider. That's... Okay. Like, it was a remake of Tengai Makio 1, and it never got translated. Hmm. It was a 2006 Xbox 360 game. It was played by no one. Apparently, uh, to tie this entire episode back together, uh, Gaijin Works, at one point, was interested in localizing it, but could not get Microsoft to give them the okay. Huh. I think it was that they needed to be willing to, like... They need to be willing to sell us to manufacture X number of copies. Oh. You know. Rip. <laughs> I guess they were also going to title that Far East of Eden. Oh man, they even they just randomly posted screenshots of the game at one point in 2015. What? Wait, what? They showed screenshots of the fact that the game was far enough into localization that there was just like there was English text in game. It sounds like they jumped the gun too early on that. We couldn't get past Microsoft's ridiculous publishing minimums and other restrictions to make it happen and had to abandon it. Like, this is one of those things, like, you need to... I feel like there has to be, like, more of a vetting... There, I don't know enough about publishing to say you need to, but I feel like there must be a way to go about this in such a way that you get things approved before you acquire the license. Yeah... Yeah, there's that that same time he mentioned that like he wants Fourth Apocalypse, but I mean first you'd have to find someone who was going to port that to a new platform. Good luck with that. Then of course he just pointed out the, that the 360 version of Tengai Makio One is not considered to be a great remake. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland says it's a bummer, but that it was a weak port of a once great game, so maybe it's for the best. <laughs> yeah, this this definitely looks like it started out as a PS2 game. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, I ran us out of questions, sadly, mostly before you got here. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, we posted while we're talking. Nope. So I guess we should wrap it up. <laughs> I feel like I basically just produced a monologue cast. <laughs> I didn't have plenty to say, but uh, I tend to bulldoze over people. I feel a little bad for that. Yeah, that's all right. It's all good. All right. Uh. You can send us questions in the normal place, comment on the episode. Uh, I'm no longer posting the link to the forum thread for Q&A quest because no one is using it, and the forums seem mostly deserted. So leave them there. Send me questions on Twitter. Bug me on Discord. Those are... Oh, yeah, we're happy places. to talk to you on Discord. Yep. And if uh, you, like, tag something and say, like, please answer this on Q&A quest, we will also happily add that to the questions. Certainly. I have installed Discord on all my devices. So it it's a really nice chat program for the most part. Yep. Oh, great. I can, I can now, instead of just wondering if you're playing Hearthstone, I can just see it because Discord reports what you're playing on your computer. What? Discord sold me out? You can go... I changed my settings long ago to not have it report what I'm playing. But, yeah, like, you have to go into your settings and tell it to not... to not report what you're playing, because I can see Wheels playing Hearthstone. I didn't even realize I had it open. <laughs> well, I mean, congratulations. I, I guess you're losing, probably. <laughs> Discord knows you better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. 
But I'm not sure now whether you meant I didn't realize I had it open for Hearthstone or Discord. Discord. Aha. Actually, it, it asked me to close it for a split update. So definitely not playing no. Hearthstone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send us send us questions in the usual fashions. We're always happy to always happy to hear from people. Uh, I promise most episodes aren't, aren't like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, forever to get the previous episode up, so we're low on questions, and then it was late, and yeah, you know. And Gaijin, he'd had plenty of plenty of stuff keeping him from being able to devote his full attention. Indeed. And he still, he still contributed better than I did. This is where <laughs> we are. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will return next week with more questions and... um, Even fewer answers. (laughs) It's true.